Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another ESOP Center uh, webinar on employment-related securities. Um, our guest uh, today, as um, is our guest in this series of, of webinars, um, is David Craddock, and I'm delighted to uh, be here to introduce him again. Um, my name is Ian Harris, and I'm one of the directors of Zian Group, uh, which is the organization that hosts the ESOP Center. Um, and David is uh, genuinely, I've, uh, it's not a phrase that I can often use uh, genuinely, uh, one of the world's leading experts on employment-related um, share ownership and reward management. Um, he's a recognized authority on the subject uh, and is the author of the Tolly's Guide uh, to Employee Share Schemes. Um, and he's here today um, to talk about the complexity um, of these schemes and unraveling those into practical applications. So we're, we have quite a, uh, um, a technical uh, uh, webinar today and quite a lot of, of material uh, uh, to get through. Um, uh, one of the things, uh, for those of you who are regular attendees at these uh, uh, webinars, one of the things that I think you will know is that David loves to answer questions. Um, and I love to ask David questions. And because this is a very technical subject, and David really is a technical expert, I'm really, really keen, if we possibly can, um, to uh, have one or two questions come in that genuinely stump David. My dream question for David would be a technical question on this topic right. where he says, Mm, I don't know. I'll have to go. I'll have to go away and give, give that some thought, or I'll have to go mm -hmm. away and re re research that question. I'm not sure whether anyone can come up with one of those. But if you can, please do send that question in. Um, uh, the I'm other thing I'd love waiting to... now, yeah. <laughs> it's waiting with bated breath. The other thing I would love to be able to do um, uh, is, 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 is to, to get a really penetrating question where I can get all oh, sort of Jeremy Paxson on him and, uh, and say, no, you haven't answered the question. Answer this question. It's a very important question. Mm -hmm. um, so, mm -hmm. so, so sharpen your pencils and uh, or electronic pencils and send those questions in. Now, in order to do that, um, I think most attendees will know uh, there is a questions uh, button for you to hit in the GoToWebinar uh, system. And that is the mechanism through which we will receive questions today. If you email uh, me uh, and or David uh, with a question, delighted to hear from you, but we will not pick up those um, questions until after the webinar, so the question will not be asked uh, during the next 45 minutes. So please do use our system uh, for, the, um, uh, for the questions. Um, and uh, one um, other point that I would like to make, given that this is a very uh, technical uh, webinar with a lot of detailed material. David will be uh, working through. Uh, the slides are already available to you um, through the handouts button um, uh, in chat on uh, the GoToWebinar uh, system and will be on our website afterwards. So there's no need for you to be sitting writing copious notes um, uh, uh, about what David is saying. If you want the technical material, the slides are all available uh, to you. Um, so, Jem's uh, uh, introduction I have just done, really, apart from um, uh, the a big thank you that I would like to uh, give before handing over to David uh, to the FS Club um, and our sponsors uh, at the club who uh, give us their uh, generosity and forbearance to uh, host a, a huge range of webinars, including this webinar series. Uh, throughout the year and we really are incredibly grateful to this uh, group of sponsors uh, for enabling us uh, to do this without their 
uh, sponsorship and support, we wouldn't be able to do it. Uh, and we are able to do it and we're getting uh, terrific feedback on, on what we're doing. So we, we really are very grateful to the FS Club. Uh, and similarly, we are grateful to the members of the ESOP Centre, um, whose, uh, again, generosity and loyalty to the club um, has enabled us to uh, uh, put on this uh, series and several other webinars uh, around the subject of employee share ownership uh, in the last few months and uh, indeed will be, be ongoing for the next few months. Um, so uh, without further ado uh, from me, let me hand you over to uh, David who will talk to you about the complexity unraveled into practical application around employment-related securities. David. So thank you, Ian, for that um, introduction. Uh, I'll talk for some 25 minutes and then we'll open it up to this um, this galaxy of questions, which I'm now anticipating. This, this challenge to actually stump me, that's going to be an interesting conundrum for, uh, for some of you. So uh, let's see what is forthcoming at the end of my talk. So we're talking today about employment-related securities. And in this series of webinars, which I've been invited to present, this is probably the most complex subject of those eight. Um, but I'm going to seek to un unravel the complexities in such a way that you can actually see that they have practical application. Um, I've ex I'm explaining the principles, and many of the slides are devoted to me breaking down those principles in an easy to understand way. But I've also got examples, written examples and numerical examples. Uh, as my old math teacher used to say, uh, everything becomes clear when you see the example, David. So um, let's go on to the next slide. Thank you, Ian. Well, that's just in introducing myself again. Um, so the development of the tax legislation, the, um, the development of the tax legislation on employment related securities. I'm talking here now about something separate from the tax approved schemes. There's been a somewhat tortuous development over, over decades uh, since the Second World War. But it, it, it did achieve a semblance of unity when we um, had the uh, Schedule 22 and Schedule 23 from Finance Act 2003. Um, and the employment related securities part of that got enshrined in part seven of ITPA 2003. I'm starting here with, with an introduction point. So through my, through my um, employee share schemes practice, um, I come across many, many, many different types of employee share scheme, employee share plan from all over the world, different sizes of business, whether they be quoted companies or small to medium sized companies or, or sometimes minnow startups. Um, I get lots of questions from my helpline as well as my ongoing uh, client project work. And in broad terms, when I'm seeking to understand how an employee share scheme works, I first identify it as one of the following. Every scheme is either a share gifting scheme or a share purchase scheme or a share option scheme, which, of course, is, is a deferred share purchase scheme. So that's just a tip, an introduction point. Once you've identified that broad category into which your, your scheme belongs, uh, or whatever scheme you're examining at, at any point in time, um, you're then in a position to examine the more detailed intricacies of the scheme, its sophistications and its subtleties. Let's go to the next slide. So um, on this uh, slide, I've identified initially the main income tax charging provisions that we find within ITPA. ITPA, by the way, stands for Income Tax Earnings and Pensions Act 2003. And the first is in relation to sections, six, section, sections 10 and, and, and 62, where um, we envisage either an issue or a transfer of shares. What that means is that an individual who is an employee of a company uh, takes into their title shares, either through a direct issue or, or through a transfer from um, another existing uh, shareholder. Now, let's suppose that the market value is £5. 
and uh, they pay two pounds. Well, that three pounds under the main charging provision is going to be subject to income tax. The second set of provisions I've identified come from Chapter five of uh, part seven of ITPA, the Employment Related Securities Legislation, sections 471 to 487. And that's where um, income tax is, is charged in the event of an exercise of an option or an assignment or a release of an option for that matter, where value is realized. So, so let's say that the, um, the market value at the date of exercise is five pounds, the option price is a pound, that four pounds difference is going to be subject to income tax under the main income tax charging provisions. But what we're looking to do, of course, is to actually find reliefs from those charging provisions. Now, the mainline reliefs, of course, which with which we are more familiar, and I, I gave a presentation on them, um, enterprise, two presentations indeed on enterprise management incentives for the FS Club and ESOP Center earlier in the year, um, are the historically known as the tax approved schemes. They're now technically known as the tax advantage schemes. So we're looking there at the uh, the, the share incentive plan. We're looking at the same as related share option scheme, both of which are all employee schemes. Also moving into the discretionary schemes, the CSOP or CSOS as it's sometimes referred to, and of course EMI. So let's go on to the next slide. So what I'm seeking to do here is, is, is to widen out the, the, the compass of the techniques which are available to an employee share scheme practitioner in order to provide solutions for the clients. Now you can see in that list of chapters one to 11, um, at chapters six to nine, the tax approved schemes, what we now call the tax advantage schemes. But there are also there are also other aspects of employment related securities which are dealt with within that part seven. Um, chapter one is uh, a general introduction to employment related securities, but some very, very valuable um, principles are established there. And then we seek to apply those principles to the, the other aspects, the, the other the other aspects which are contained within their respective chapters. But recognize this, that none of the chapters 2 to 11 will apply unless uh, it is first established that the, the securities, the shares, uh, are employment related securities under chapter one. Let's go to the next slide. Thank you. So the reason for the employment related securities legislation, the, the reason really is very simple. We have to recognize that this legislation is is anti avoidance legislation on the part of, of the government administered by HMRC. The UK operates different rates of tax for capital and income in in the United Kingdom, um, whereby uh, an, an astute practitioner uh, were it not the case that the rules were laid down as to what is capital and what is income, an astute practitioner could potentially um, exploit the absence of any clear guidelines on their categorization of what is capital and what is income. Capital, of course, is is essentially the, the, the capital gains tax um, the legislation contained within Taxation of Chargeable Gains Act 1992, um, which has a less punitive rate of tax than the more punitive um, income tax legislation. The legislation seeks to ensure that, that remuneration, as it, as it is perceived by the legislation, uh, which is in the form of employment related securities, is made subject to income tax and PUIE and NICs are applied as appropriate. So let's have a look at what we mean by employment related securities. They are securities acquired by a person who is, who is an employee of the company. So, so they're made available by reason of the employment of that person or the employment of another person. Yes. Um, employment also includes directorships, all directorships, whether they be executive directorships or or non-executive directorships. So an individual might not be an employee, but is actually a, a director. Um, employment includes former prospective and future employments and securities do not have to be received by the employee for the legislation to apply. 
So it really is very, very wide in its scope. The, the securities could, for example, be received by a family member or by a trust. I note here the position on founder shareholders, and maybe one of the questions that comes up later will be on that subject, and it is a very, very debatable area. But what I've tried to do is to crystallize key points on all these issues in this presentation. So on founder shares, are the shares made available by the individual himself or herself as the founder shareholder and not by the individual's employer? Historically, that's been the argument that founder shares are not employment-related securities. Under section 4218 of ITPA, the term employee has to be construed in accordance with the definition of employment in that subsection. Again, a supportive section to the case that uh, founder shareholdings are not employee shareholdings. But are the shares made available by reason of a prospective or future employment? And that's where HMRC uh, challenged the, the, the position. Let's go on to the next uh, slide. So uh, what I'm saying on this slide is that um, th there are other parts of the legislation which continue to be operative alongside the employment-related securities legislation. So, for example, transactions in securities continues to operate completely independently of the employment-related securities legislation. You can, of course, obtain tax clearances for transactions in securities. The National Insurance Contributions legislation was brought in line following the 2003 uh, Finance Act, which, which established the employment-related securities legislation to ensure that, that, that in, in virtually every case, the NIC treatment follows the, um, uh, the income tax treatment, provided, of course, uh, uh, under Section 702, the shares are readily convertible securities, which actually brings in the charge to national insurance contributions. The capital gains tax charge, important to recognise that in relation to shares, any, any income gain which is identified for purposes of the employment-related securities legislation is actually an allowable expense alongside the acquisition cost when you're actually constructing the capital gains tax computation at the date of sale. And then there's the corporation tax legislation, which came in through uh, Schedule 23 alongside Schedule 22 in Finance Act 2003. So Schedule 22 is employment related security. Schedule 23 was corporation tax deduction. Um, the, the corporation tax deduction legislation is now found in Chapters 2 and 3 of Part 12 of the Corporation Tax Act 2009. Um, had a particular interest in what was developing there because I actually um, uh, was part of the, uh, the committee working with the government, which uh, determined the recommendations which would be made to government on how the corporation tax deduction worked. And it's, and, and it's very, very um, uh, subtle how it does work. It seeks to actually, it seeks to, actually to um, apply uh, a principle which says that uh, employees get benefits, but employer also gets benefits. So, for example, where there's an exercise of an option, the uh, income gain, the income gain realized by the employee to exercise, not the sale gain, the income gain at exercise provides the basis for a corporation tax uh, deduction. Uh, similarly, if an individual buys shares straight off, um, any income gain is uh, available for a corporation tax deduction and is available to reduce the property assessable to corporation tax accordingly. That really doesn't extend to other types of security, uh, whereas, of course, the definition of securities in employment related security legislation is very wide indeed and covers uh, strikingly more than just shares. It covers loans of different types, um, various other types of securities as well. Let's go to the next slide. So this is a, a, a detailed set out of 
um, the concepts which are applicable to determine whether shares are employment-related securities or, or securities for that matter are employment-related securities. We've got the factual tests. Um, were the shares received by reason of his or her employment or by reason of the employment of another person? But then we've got the deeming provision, which opens out this, this wider scope, this wider compass for the charge to be levied on employment-related securities. So were the securities made available by a person's employer or by a person connected with a person's employer? And that's section 421B2. So both those tests are found in section 421B. Factual test is subsection one, deeming provision is subsection two. Within the deeming provision though, we have a very interesting principle that you go into the employment-related securities capture zone under the deeming provision, but then you could potentially come out if the right uh, to the shares is received uh, within the normal course of domestic, family or personal relationships. And that indeed is not just family relationships. It could actually be best friend or longstanding friend. Um, you can never get a, an equivalent of a COP10 clearance from HMRC on that. So you need to make sure you've done your analysis, got an expert's view and contemporaneously prepared an opinion um, before you actually go ahead with implementation. Let's go to the next slide. Thank you. So um, here we're looking now at restricted securities. Restricted securities is chapter two. Uh, restricted securities legislation uh, is in place um, because there are potentially two definitions of, um, uh, 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 of restricted securities value, of, of securities value. One is the actual market value, which, which, is, which is the restricted market value. The, the actual market value is the value with all the current um, restrictions in place actually in place yes the the unrestricted market value is a value which hypothetically assumes that the uh, restrictions um, have all been lifted and that there are indeed no restrictions in relation to uh, the shares so um, key examples of where securities might be restricted security shares that have been transferred or forfeited in circumstances where an employee would receive less than the market value of the shares on the transfer of forfeiture, um, shares that are subject to restrictions on the freedom of the employee to dispose of the shares, whether it be at market value or not. Um, how do restricted securities become unrestricted securities? Well, either through the passage of time, uh, when at the end of a period of time restrictions are lifted, or alternatively through the, the, the achievements of performance conditions, the achievements of performance conditions actually um, enabling or, or facilitating or qualifying the restrictions to be lifted. Where are the restrictions found? Typically in the Articles of Association, but maybe in, in some other agreements, some other contractual agreements which exist between the company and the employee. Okay, next slide, please. Um, uh, structural test and depressed market test. The structural test says that the employment related securities are subject to, um, they must be subject to a contract agreement or arrangement or condition. And that's where the, the agreement or the articles comes in. And then we have the depressed market test. The market value of the employment-related securities based on recognized share valuation methodologies um, is less than it would be, but for that provision. Okay, so that's the, the structural test, um, which, which is the, um, the documentary evidence, if you like. And then there's a the depressed market value, which is the application of the share valuation methodologies. Um, those of you who are really interested in that area, I did a share valuation um, webinar for the FS Club and ESOP Center some weeks back and I'm doing another one in November. So you might want to refer to that. Now, a couple of points which are often forgotten and, and, and when I get queries from my helpline, these are almost always forgotten. 
that there must be an identifiable restriction. You can't simply say the shares are restricted. There's got to be an identifiable restriction, whether it be voting rights or dividend rights or forfeiture arrangements or some element within preemption, whatever it might be. Also, that the restriction must reduce the value of the share. So you must be able to demonstrate, you must be able to demonstrate that, uh, that the shares uh, are reduced in value as a consequence of the identifiable restriction. And then they must be restricted securities at the time of the acquisition. Okay, and I, I get this at this, this point is especially often forgotten that, that they don't become restricted securities at a later time in the ownership of the individual. They they have to be restricted securities at the date of acquisition to be restricted securities. OK, let's go to the next slide. So restrictions or inherent characteristics. So um, th there is a, a detailed argument to say that we should distinguish between restrictions which have been imposed and uh, restrictions which are inherent, which, which are part and parcel of the share. Now, um, if, if you talk to uh, recognized practitioners on this matter, they will appreciate this point of the distinction between imposed or inherent. HMRC tend to wash over this point, I have to say, so I'm sharing with you the practical essence of what happens in practice here. They tend to take the view that if there's any restriction, um, whether it applies to all shares or not, then um, the shares are restricted securities. Technically, I would beg to differ with that, and I would contend that there, there is a case in certain circumstances to contend that restrictions are inherent rather than imposed. Um, uh, but, you know, the fact that the depressed value is less than it would otherwise be, which is what the legislation says, implies that the restrictions do have to be imposed in order to be restricted securities. But, you know, if there's any doubt whatsoever as to how you believe HMRC are going to respond or whether you believe there might be some controversy on a side of the company at some future stage with the, uh, the, the buyers, lawyers coming up with esoteric points and trying to protect their clients, the best thing to do is always to introduce some sort of um, protective position to ensure that your shares are restricted securities. Let's go to the next slide. Okay, potential difficulties in application, determination of market value. Now, um, we do have the share valuation methodologies which enable us to value shares, but remember that uh, employment-related securities covers all sorts of other securities as well, which are not always easy to value. There are methods for all of them, I can assure you. Um, but um, that they, they, they can be quite challenging on occasions. But the determination of market value, very, very important. The decision on tax elections, we're going to talk in a little bit more detail about that in a minute. I'm going to open up the, the debate on that as I explain how, how all that works, when to make the tax election, when not to make a tax election. And you have 14 days, which has to be a joint election between employing company and employee after the date of acquisition to make the election. Third point I've identified on here is the categorization of the shares. Now, sometimes you've got a choice when you're actually uh, devising your share structure. Um, it might appear that you could actually set up your, your shares as, as either restricted securities or convertible securities. My advice is if there's a choice between the two, unless there's a compelling reason for doing convertible securities, go for restricted securities because there are no election opportunities in relation to convertible securities. You know, you know, when, when, when Finance Act uh, 2003 first introduced this, this legislation, there was an article which appeared in Taxation magazine just a few weeks later, which said the end of tax planning. Yes, far from being the end of tax planning, the uh, employment-related securities legislation does actually offer us particular opportunities for our tax planning, albeit within the parameters set by government and administered by uh, Her Majesty's Custom and Excise. But listen, you know, the point is this, that there is an opportunity when you're actually working with tax elections and they're available only through restricted security status for the shares. Let's go to the next slide. 
Okay, the acquisition of shares. So this is where we have something called, well, it's what, it's what David, yours truly, calls the, the special rule situation. And the non-special rule situation is the, is the converse of that. So uh, when I was studying this legislation, when it came out in 2003, and I knew I'd got, I, I, I was literally signed up uh, very, very quickly to deliver something like 10 lectures around the United Kingdom, different parts of the United Kingdom, with accountancy groups and training groups and, and uh, different accountancy firms, uh, to explain this legislation. So I really got, had to get my, uh, uh, my, my mind in gear to understand what it was about. And this is how I understood it. So I'm gonna share with you how, how my brain was able to understand it in the hope that it will help you understand it as well. So the special rule situation is this. The special rule situation is where there are forfeiture or compulsory transfer restrictions which do not last for more than five years. The non-special rule situation is any other type of restriction. Now, where you've got forfeiture or compulsory transfer restrictions that do not last for more than five years, you have the 425 election. When you're working with any other form of restriction, you've got the 431 election. Let's go to the next slide. Okay. Um, chargeable events. Chargeable events um, will be typically where you've got a ceasing of restrictions, you know, a lifting of restrictions, variation of restrictions and a, and a disposal of, of shares. All those are what are called chargeable events. The principle that applies in the event of a chargeable event is what we call the principle of the untaxed proportion. So the proportion which wasn't taxed. So we're talking there, you know, about the difference between in percentage terms between the restricted market value and the unrestricted market value. Let's say it's 20 percent. That untaxed proportion is applied at the point at which a chargeable event occurs, whether it be a, a, a cessation or a lifting of restrictions, variation restrictions or disposal restrictions. I've got an, an example to, do, to, to display this in a moment. Let's go to the next uh, slide. OK, this is how special rule, non-special rule work. Yeah. So special rule situation. And this explains how the elections work. So th this is what I constructed as my metrics when I was seeking to understand the subject, all those 17 years ago now. OK, so special rule situation. Remember, what is that? It, it's forfeiture or compulsory transfer restriction, which falls away within five years. If you don't make an election, there's no income tax and there's no nicks on acquisition. That all sounds good, doesn't it? So so why would you want to make an election? Well, to avoid future capital gains tax. So move to top quadrant right. Special rule situation again. But here we make an election under Section 425. OK, and we make an election so that income tax and NICs on acquisition on the unrestricted market value. We make an election to be taxed on the unrestricted market value, that uplifted hypothetical value. What's the reason for doing that? So that all future gain falls within capital gain. Yeah, isn't that good? Now, let's have a look at the non-special rule situation, which is the more common. This, this is any other type of restriction other than forfeiture or compulsory transfer restrictions which fall away within five years. OK, so it could be voting rights, dividend rights, forfeiture. Of, of some other type, preemption, whatever it might be. So bottom quadrant left, no election. Well, here, if you don't make an election, you've still got income tax, but it's on the acquisition of the restricted market value, shares, less amount paid. So if you make an election, which is bottom quadrant right, then yes, you're going to be taxed on unrestricted market value. And again, there'll be no capital gains tax arising under chapter two at any point in the future. So let's go to the next uh, slide. Uh, temporary restrictions or permanent restrictions. We're typically looking at, uh, at, at temporary uh, restrictions here. Yeah, restrictions which are imposed. And I've identified there uh, a class of permanently non-voting shares to illustrate the, the, the principle. In the interest of time, let's, let's just move on. Okay. 
Um, planning principles for private companies there may be freedom on what restrictions impose so that gives you a lot of freedom for your planning for quoted companies not so much freedom uh, but restrictions will typically be in the form of some sort of agreed lockout for private equity buyouts restrictions typically be on voting rights and sell back obligations and as a general rule the employee would elect to to pay income tax and NICs at the outset if the share plan is currently relatively sorry if the share price is currently relatively low okay so if the share price is high and you're not expecting much uplift then you might not make an election so it's not always a done deal that you're going to make an election you've really got to look at the economics of the share and its current value and its potential before you make the decision but when you've got a gross share say um share value comparatively low uh, but a potentially high uplift you would almost certainly make an election and it must be made within 14 days of the date of acquisition, although those documents don't have to be submitted to HMRC. Typically, I advise clients to keep them either with their statutory books or with their uh, payroll records. Next slide, please. This is an example. I don't think we've got time to do this example, but um, you know, I'm trying to share the principles with you. That This is the, the way in which I prepare these slides to, to, to give you money's worth, really, to ensure that you've got lots of information from my years of research in this subject. Um, that you can go back to and 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 study study in your own time and and then you can come back to me if you've got any questions that that that'd be wonderful but this uh, this example one restriction with no consideration let's go on to the next slide which is how the uh, the uh, illustration works through it actually illustrates this principle this very important principle of the untaxed proportion which is the untaxed proportion determined by the differential between restricted and unrestricted at the outset which is then applied at the uh, later date when you've got the lifting of the restrictions or the disposal of the shares whatever it might be let's go next uh, disposal of shares this identifies the very basic capital gains tax computation disposal proceeds less uh, price paid as consideration for the shares and any amount which has been subject to income tax under the restricted securities regime next slide please convertible securities couple of key points to bear in mind here what the convertible securities legislation does is it separates the convertible security into two types of security for analysis purposes the underlying security and the right to convert effectively the right to acquire a security at some point um, in the future um, the, the scope of this legislation is very wide it used to be prior to 2003 that shares were convertible only at the behest of the shareholder now it's still at the behest of the shareholder but it could also be at the behest of the issuer of the securities or it could be automatically or otherwise within the articles key planning points look very carefully at your security uh, because it might be what you're actually seeking to do is simply introduce variations rather than convertibility or conversions in which case um, the convertible securities legislation wouldn't apply where it's simply variations let's go to the next slide 3C is notional loans. Um, this is where, for example, and I've set out the example here, let's say market value of the shares at date of issue is 20 pounds. The offer price of the shares is, is five pounds, representing a 75% discount for employees. But the amount payable as an initial payment by the employees is only a pound. Now, this, this illustration illustrates where you've got both discount and deferred consideration within the same arrangement. So the discount is taxed immediately under section 62, as I've identified there under one. But under two, you've got under section 446S, um, you've got the, the deferred consideration. This is the only opportunity where this is, the, well, not opportunity, this is the only occasion where P11D applies in our employment related securities legislation. And the deferred 
consideration is 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 disclosed on the P11D under section H. I, I seem to recall as as a loan. So the notional loan, which is what the deferred consideration effectively is, um, is um, it, it, it's treated as a loan for purposes of P11D disclosure. And essentially, that's what it is, isn't it? It, it is a common sense application of 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 the principle. Always remember that the uh, shares must be paid off before you sell. Otherwise, you're not going to get any capital gains tax benefit. Everything will fall into income tax. That's a very, very key planning point. Next slide. Uh, the nature of the earnout. This is the last subject we're going to talk about uh, today. Uh, an earnout um, is part of the consideration for the sale of a business by a vendor. Uh, for the employment related securities legislation, it is deferred consideration. Yeah. Um, now, important to recognize that HMRC do recognize the, the, the worth and, and the meaning of uh, an earnout. Um, but the point is this, that an earnout for employment rate security legislation, and even un, under, un, under UK law, um, comes under a, a securities option. It, it's like a tax unapproved share option scheme. And so what I've identified on the next two slides, which are my final slides, uh, let's go to the next slide, Ian, are um, six indicators which indicate um, principles which must apply uh, for the earnout to be recognized by HMRC and not attract income tax. And then on the next slide, there are what I what, what identified as three factors. Now, important point to recognize is they're not contained. This, these factors and, and indicators are not contained within the legislation. They are contained within the Appropriate Related Securities Manual. So look into that small print whenever you're doing an earnout and it will protect your people, your clients, uh, from income tax charges, which might otherwise arise. I don't think we've got time to go into how how those details work, but if you want to ask me questions about it, I'm pleased to do so. Please do, do, do come forward with your questions, and I, I, I will, um, in all humility, do my utmost to answer them. David, thank you so much. That was a, a, a whistle-stop tour through that uh, uh, very technical subject. I'd just like to remind uh, the audience again that all of these slides are available as a handout which you can pull down now through the go to webinar uh, uh, buttons if you wish and will be on the uh, the website uh, later for you to um, uh, to, to to use and uh, and have have a, a a work through the worked examples um, i have a couple of uh, specific questions here from uh, susan yeah. uh, and we're going to see if these are difficult enough to stump you right Okay. Um, uh, she says, great presentation, David, as, as, as always, which is very nice. Thank you. And then she says, the UK restricted securities legislation seems similar to the restricted stock awards in the USA. Is, yeah. is that right or is, are, 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 are there significant differences? And then there's a, a follow up, a second question. Would you describe the employment related securities legislation as a collection of employee share plans? Okay, so so the likeness to I, I think she's referring to the restricted stock award plan, the restricted stock award plan in the US. Um, uh, yes, the restricted securities legislation is very similar. Um, remember that the employment related securities legislation was introduced during Gordon Brown's tenure of office, and he took a lot of inspiration from how the employee share plan legislation and, and share legislation worked in the US. EMI, of course, was inspired by um a similar type of, of of plan arrangement in the us and so was the restricted securities legislation so you're absolutely correct to to identify that um are there are there differences well well we've got our election 
procedure are, are 425 and 431, which I explained in detail in my presentation. They, they've got their equivalent, which is um, Section 83B, Section 83B of the US tax code, uh, where you make the election at the date of acquisition, which is exactly the same as under our uh, 425 or 431 elections. Um, we have a wider berth on restrictions. So I think she asked if there are any differentials, uh, any differences. We have a wider berth on our restrictions uh, for them. It's really um, the lifting of one restriction, which would be a substantial risk of forfeiture. And I think the second question was about is, is the employment related security legislation a collection of, of employee share plan, basically, yeah. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. OK, so so if you go back to the slide, which I introduced on the navigation through part seven, those those 11 chapters, you've got um, you've got four chapters which deal with the tax approved schemes, as we've historically called them. We now call them the tax advantage schemes. Um, so it so it includes the legislation includes the collection of those four tax advantage schemes. I, I would also say, though, as well as being a collection of schemes, it, it's a collection of techniques. It's a collection of techniques, which as practitioners we need to we need to master in order to equip ourselves with all the tools which we need in order to provide solutions with our with our clients and you know master that legislation and how the how the how the techniques interact, which is important, you know, and, and you're you know you're cooking on gas and you've got central heating on on your any employee share scheme activity. Okay. <laughs> Does that answer your question? I hope so. Well, we, we, we might find out if Susan chimes in again. Have you got a follow-up? Yeah. I think I think that's, I think that's a, a, a really good answer to that question. Um, I, I have a question for you uh, of, of a more general kind, which is which is what I call this wood for the trees question or type of question, because hmm. um, I I look on employment-related um, uh, share. Uh, ownership as uh, as something you know, we initially put that in in our company to motivate people and mm -hmm. and to provide an incentive and try to attract the, the, the people who wanted to get involved in uh, in our organisation in that sort of comprehensive way and I, I I felt at the time and I feel even more now when I look at the, 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 these detailed technical topics, that you can mm. lose the wood for the trees by thinking through all of the detail of oh, the, the, this is more tax effective in this way and this and doing it this way is more tax effective, you know, if, if the company works out like this and doesn't work out like that. And you can, you can perhaps end up uh, not seeing the wood for the trees and coming up with something that is, um, uh, from a tax planning point of view, very elegant. But perhaps from the point of view of achieving what you originally set out to achieve, so complex or so esoteric that, uh, that that it doesn't achieve what you wanted it to achieve in in, in terms of the people. How, when you're dealing with these things in practice, David, how how, how do you grapple with those issues? Because you must come across this yeah. more or less every time. I'd have thought. Well, it's a very very interesting question and, and very well put, Ian. Um, the first thing I do on a consultation is to try and get a sense of how the company operates, um, what, what is the morale within the company, what is the attitude of management to employees, um, is, there a, is there a genuine opportunity here to develop a, a community of interest around shared ownership, uh, whether it be you know, marginal share interests or something larger. So always the, 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 the guiding thrust must be to understand the company, to understand the people, and, and to seek to understand what will motivate people within the business. 
what you then seek to do, of course, is to identify a technique or, or, or a, a collection of techniques or, or a scheme in order to actually meet that requirement. So, so th there's always got to be that what, what I call the umbilical cord uh, between the, the incentive. And I write about this in my book, Toys, Gantt and Plushow Schemes, between, between the incentive and the objectives which the company is seeking to achieve. There's always got to be that linkage. If, if it isn't, then um, the share scheme is just like a, a pretty figurine on a mantelpiece. It looks exceedingly beautiful, but it's not going to serve any any utility purpose whatsoever. Um, so I think I think that the, the the key is to try and make the scheme as simple as possible. OK, it really is. And, and the more techniques that the, the bigger your toolbox that you have, the more you know which is the best technique to pick out of that box and apply it okay now if you can possibly work one of the tax approved or tax advantage schemes in your class situation all the better because you get immediate relief from the charging provisions if you can't then that's where we're looking at the more esoteric type of planning that um that, that, that we've been talking about uh, today i think though it, it, it's 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 also important to to, to, to recognize the communication aspect yeah so having identified what motivates people the communication is is crucial so so in my practice we deal with every aspect of employee share schemes i, I spent the last 40 years seeking to seeking to find everything i can about the subject and as we were talking about earlier and I, I you know i do have other interests as well i'm i'm, I'm very keen on sport I, you know i do interviews on holistic health and and and, and uh, mindfulness from time to time and I, i've got that. a big big interview in the states next week on on that but, you know, the, 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 the point I'm trying to make is that, is that I was really fascinated in this subject through my, my, my tutor at, at Oxford, a chap named David Soskis, who was, who was fascinated by how to avoid unemployment. Um, he, had, you know, in the 1970s, sorry to give my age away, chaps and, and ladies, but uh, in the 1970s, you know, that, that was a major, major issue. And his father... Uh, who, who was uh, Sir Frank Soskis, had been um, Harold Wilson's first Home Secretary, was was very, very influential upon him in, in terms of the, the impact of the 1930s unemployment. I was keen on what can you do positively with employment. So so working with David, that's, our, that's, that, 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 that's, that, that's what became the genesis in my mind. Yes, you know, I, I recognise that my mentors were very interested in countering unemployment. I was very interested in employment. What can you do with employment? OK, this is where you need to understand the motivation. Anyway, the, the next the next um, um, webinar, I do believe it is the next one. We're going to be talking about communication strategies that uh, that, that I've developed over, over the last uh, the last decades um, and, and, and more really of how to, how to actually simplify, but also to maximize the response from from the employee community within the company. David, that's that's a super answer. And I'm ter terribly disappointed and almost upset to have to admit that you preempted my follow-up question with the end of your answer, because I was going to ask you about, you know, in the in the current times where we see unemployment, uh, you know, huge swathes of unemployment pending, um, you know, just just wondering whether the, the, these things are fit for purpose or how we ad adapt um, uh, employee share ownership schemes you know, in our current times. But I think that will probably come up as a line of questioning for one of our uh, later webinars in the in the program, not le not least the, ne the next the next one. Yeah. So we'll park that idea, particularly as we've really okay. reached the end of our time. Um, and it's really beholden on me to to, to now just to um, uh, to tell people about some of the other things that we do and to and to hand out some thanks. So once again, thank you to 
uh, our sponsors at the ESOP Center um, uh, and the FS Club, uh, without whose uh, support we would not be able to do this program. We're really, really grateful to you all uh, for that. Um, just to tell uh, anybody listening who is, is not yet aware of the resources that are available to you through the ESOP Center, uh, there is Newspad, uh, which is a, 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 a wonderful uh, journal edited by Fred Hackworth um, every month. Uh, with all the in-depth coverage of, of what's going on internationally in this uh, world of employee uh, mm -hmm. share ownership. And it's always a, a, a really good uh, read. Um, we also, it, it is. And we also have um, uh, now through the uh, FS Club and the link with the ESOP Center, uh, our bulletin uh, resources, which are proving to be very popular uh, on a whole range of subjects, including employee share ownership. So I would... Uh, certainly commend those uh, to, to anybody who's uh, uh, li listening, watching, who hasn't had a, t a look at these. You can subscribe to these very easily through the uh, uh, FS Club uh, and Zien websites. Um, and, and then just to let you know about some forthcoming webinars. So uh, next week on Monday, if you're interested in uh, quantum annealing computers or just want to know what they are, uh, there's a webinar at four o'clock on that. Uh, another webinar on the subject of climate change, one of, one of our more um, uh, eagerly uh, uh, subscribed topics, Correcting the World's Biggest Market Failure. That's at 10 o'clock uh, next Thursday. Um, and uh, if, if by any chance uh, any, any of you are, uh, are fans of me hosting webinars, I shall be hosting um, a, a, another ESOP SOFA, SOFA webinar um, uh, on some hot topics around employee share ownership. And uh, that is the following Monday at four o'clock in, in, in the afternoon. Um, uh, it, it's now beholden upon me to, to thank David. I, I would like to point out to the more uh, uh, eagle-eyed uh, people who are still in, in the audience that I have a different background today from the background that you've seen at, on previous topics. I did get some feedback through uh, a, 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 an anonymous attender who, who felt that the clutter behind me was a little distracting. Um, and I would like anyone out there who is a fan of my clutter uh, to know that no clutter has been harmed in the making of this slightly more uh, zen shoji screen uh, background. Um, there's been a little bit of heated debate between myself and, and Janie, which we've reached the end of uh, now, about whether the clutter should just go or whether it should be covered. But the clutter is there and is, is, is fine and is, and is well. Uh, but nevertheless, you get this lovely sort of Zen background. And because we now have a Zen background, I think we should have a, ze a Zen thank you for David. Um, so a little sounding of Zen bell. Thank you, Ian. Can I just say that if, if, if there are questions that, that people haven't, haven't had a chance to, to air, uh, please send them through to me, I guess via DSOP Center. I'll be very pleased to, um, to, to, to interact with them. We'd be de delighted to, to pass those on. Um, and final thank you, of course, to the audience. Thank you for your attentiveness and for uh, coming back to this series of webinars, which clearly you're enjoying a great deal. Um, we look forward to seeing you again next time. Thank you. Bye-bye, everybody.